Hello, everyone, and welcome to the June episode of Jazz Talk Seattle. My name is Josh. And my name is Max. And today we have the distinct pleasure of having with us John A. Kendrick. Welcome, John A. Yay! Hi! Thank you guys for having me. Thank you for being here. Jane is an incredible vocalist. She is a professor of voice at Cornish College of the Arts. She won Northwest Vocalist of the Year uh, for 2020 at uh, Earshot Jazz and is a Grammy nominee. That's so exciting. (laughs) Congratulations. That's pretty cool. Thank you. It's still very crazy to me. I'm like, what? Anytime someone says it, I'm like, no, you're confused. That's not me. (laughs) All these awards hit and I was watching... uh, the your your Instagram with with Sage and just super super excited to see all that happen. So we have plenty of stuff to talk about, but before we get to some of your uh, more current music projects, we wanted to rewind a bit and talk from the beginning. How did you get started with music? Um, well, you know, I started piano when I was like five. I actually was presenting with some like. Uh, a little bit of dyslexia. I was inverting letters and mixing things up. And so uh, my parents put me in a piano and that really helped kind of straighten things out for me relatively quickly. Um, It kind of just snapped things into place. And I went from like needing special attention in class to they like then tested me into the gifted and talented program. So like I'm always screaming about like music education, piano as early as possible because it really can like change lives. So I started with piano and actually funny enough, I did not enjoy it at all. Um, and I begged my parents (laughs) to let me play violin. And I finally started violin when I was about 11 and just kind of fell in love, started playing in the San Diego youth symphony and in the honor orchestras and just like really, it just, you know, changed my life and showed like showed me that music will allow me to see the world and that like it kind of, that's the thing that roped me in. And so I didn't actually start singing until the end of high school in the vocal jazz ensemble. And then I didn't realize that you could go to college for singing because like everybody sings and everybody loves it. Right. You know, that was how I, that was my experience with music. And I thought everyone felt the way that I did. And so I was like, Oh, this is just a thing that everyone loves. But, um, at the last minute I ended up applying and, uh, getting into a couple of colleges and just kind of, I don't know. I never really had a plan. I kind of just follow my heart all of the time and things have kind of fallen into place as a result. That's a plan it's, uh, in and of itself, I think. Follow yeah, your heart. Yeah, just let it go. Follow yeah. your heart. Yeah. Well, I would love to ask um, a couple of questions about some of those um, experiences you've had. Um, so the Monk Institute is a fairly prestigious uh, jazz organization of sorts um and you were there correct i was i was there from 2007 to 2009 can you tell us just a little bit about what that was like because you got to work Uh, with some pretty yeah uh revered musicians um it sounds like yeah it was wild i'll just tell you like so basically the way it works is they go you 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 submit a bunch of music and then they choose like, I don't know, 30 different finalists to come in okay. and audition 
for the program in person. And I was so focused on like, okay, they're going to put me into a group with other musicians and we're all auditioning at the same time. So I was auditioning with the piano player, bass player, drummer, saxophone, trumpet, guitar, and myself, I think like they throw you into a group with folks you may not have ever met before. And your audition it's for everyone. And so I was so focused on like, okay, I need to make sure my charts look right. I need to make sure that they're in keys that everyone will be comfortable in. So it isn't just like, I sound good playing these standards and keys that like everybody else is going to struggle through. And so I was dedicating all of my energy to that. And I forgot who I was auditioning for. So I walked into the room (laughs) (laughs) and you know, and I'm still like in the zone of like, all right, so this is how you're going to count that one off. And then like, don't mess up the Portuguese on this one. And, and I, I'm like looking at the floor and then we all line up and then I look up at the panel and it's this long table. And at that table is Herbie Hancock, Wayne Shorter, Terrence Blanchard, Colonia <laughs> Smunk Jr. <laughs> And I like looked up and I was just like, oh, hi. Like I completely <laughs> forgot. I completely forgot that I was going to be in there with the Giants, you know, which was actually a good thing because I forgot to get nervous about that. Like I forgot to get nervous about seeing it. Did it all Hancock. hit like right then though? That's a well, terrifying that point, lineup. It was like a count off. Like they were like, okay, we're ready when you are. And I look up and I'm like, oh my God, one, two. <laughs> like it was just as crazy. Here we go. And then I kind of, um, I think I just, I think I left my body and, you know, did what I do. Like, I, I don't really remember it. It's all kind of like, did that really happen? I don't know. Um, it was really wild. And I got really nervous because at one point I looked at Wayne Shorter and he was, um, pointing at his ear as I was singing. And I was like, Oh no, what, what? (laughs) And so I got, I was like, well, you know, you can't change your instrument now. (laughs) So I just kind of kept going. And then later, uh, a couple of days later, we were performing, for this press conference after it was announced that I was one of the members of the incoming class. And I asked him backstage, um, why were you, I saw you pointing to your ear and I'm just curious, you know, why you're doing that. And, um, I don't know, like having a conversation with Wayne Shorter is like, speaking to a genius from a completely different planet and i as he was answering he's like he's talking about like the orchestra and like sounds and planets and all this stuff and i'm like panicking because i'm like oh my god i just asked wayne shorter question i have no idea what he's talking about right now and i'm gonna have to say something back to him but i don't know what is happening (laughs) i was so confused but he was basically saying i was you're I I don't even know how he said it but he was basically like I was taken by your instrument the sound of your instrument I didn't expect it and I really loved it and so that kind of and I was like okay the answer like the reply to this statement is thank you (laughs) wow king shorter thank you you know what I mean it was so cool it was it was wild. I was just I sometimes I'm like, did that really? I keep saying this, but I have it a lot. Did this happen? What really happened? That's and it an also it doesn't story. help that it feels like it's a lifetime ago now. But yeah, forever I, in my heart. 
<laughs> and were you able to kind of work one-on-one with these people for like several years just on music and wh- yeah, whatever so you're it's trying a, to get? It's a two-year yeah. program. The way it works is, um, I mean, I'm not sure. Oh, and I guess we should acknowledge that it's now called the uh, Herbie Hancock Herbie Institute. Hancock, yeah. mm-hmm. um, but uh, the way it worked when I was a student, uh, it's a master's program and you also receive, you can shoot, you can apply for, you can, excuse me, you can um, get your master's and an artist diploma, which is kind of like a musical doctorate, sort of. It's like a specialized advanced degree. Or you can just do one or the other, and I opted to do both. Um, And so the way they set it up is basically you're put in this group, you're rehearsing like five hours a day with these musicians that you didn't select. So you're working with different folks, like it's a set band, you're in the program for two years. Um, one of those weeks you, we worked with the artistic director, it was Terrence Blanchard at the time. So we worked with him one week out of the month and we'd each get a, a private lesson. And then two of the, two of the other weeks of the month, it was just us doing self-directed work and then also taking college classes in order to get our masters. And then the fourth week of the month, they would bring in a different jazz legend. So our first, um, who was our first guest? I think our first guest was Ron Carter, actually. Okay, just to hit the ground running. Okay. <laughs> what a parade wow. of heavy hitters. That's incredible. Oh, gosh. Yeah, so then they'd, they'd come and we'd each get one private lesson and then we'd either sing or perform their music or perform our music, work with them, and we, they'd coach us for a couple of days. And, but it all just went really fast, you know, like it, it. Oh, I'll bet. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's like to say like, oh, you're going to work with this person for a week. It's like, oh, cool, that'll be a lot. But it ends up feeling like I have so many things that I want to ask you and talk about. And, and a lot of the times um, the legends that came through didn't quite know what to do with me as the vocalist. So they'd be like, well, what do you want to do? And I'm like, well, I would love to just like jam with you and ask you questions. So I'm like, you know, my lesson with Buster Williams was just like singing tunes. And I love like bass and voice duo stuff. So I had a lot of like it was like being in heaven a lot of the time. And then other times folks were like, all right, well, I want you to learn this transcription by tomorrow and have it memorized and come into your lesson and sing it to me. Terry Lynn Carrington did that to me. And I was like, oh, 24 boy. hours. That's how much she yeah. gave you. She gave me a day. Oh, a that's day. really scary. Did you yeah. sleep that night or were no, you just No, I was like, you'll sleep after grad school. That's the, <laughs> that's wow. the thing. Yeah, it was a lot. It was really intense. But I mean, yeah, just I was just getting my butt kicked a lot, a lot, a lot, lot. Yeah. Wow. Man. <laughs> well, that's awesome. That sounds really in- incredible and intense and terrifying and but <laughs> uh, an amazing experience. Yeah. And so that was on the, uh, the um, Herbie Hancock Institute's on the East Coast, yeah? Well, it was – so when I applied – it, the last, the class before my class was the final Los Angeles class. So it was at USC for quite a while. Oh, I see. And then, um, it, for our class, Terrence, uh, had 
them move it to New Orleans to kind of bring some attention into New Orleans. Because, you know, Hurricane Katrina hit in 2005. It was really intense. And, and so New Orleans was still kind of struggling. So I think Terrence had the idea to relocate the Institute for a couple years to kind of bring some attention back to the city. And so I think there were two classes, 07, 09, and 09, 11. And then I think it moved to UCLA, which is where I believe it is now. Gotcha. Okay. So you were in um, New Orleans when this was, uh, when you were studying there. Cool. Yes. Yes. Well, cool. Not to spend too much time on, on past things, but You've also worked with another one of my favorite musicians, uh, Nicholas Payton, it sounds like. Mm, yeah. Uh, that was probably pretty cool, too, I would imagine. Oh, that was so cool. I mean, it's so funny. He's such an intense human. Um, and he's a genius, you yeah. know. And so, and, and you know, like, he, he goes in and out of, like, being very, sometimes you can get to know a lot about what he thinks or feels by following him online and sometimes he can go quiet but when you're like working with him he's very quiet like he Hmm. won't be like oh that was great or i didn't like that he'll just not call you again (laughs) he's got this like there's this wizard kind of vibe where it's just like show up know your stuff i'm not gonna teach it to you i'm not gonna hold your hand it's really intense and it's funny because he plays everything and could tell you like how to execute everything. Like this is how you get to that on the bass, but he's just like, Mm -hmm. and he's got these like (laughs) really extended compositions and it seems like, Oh, you know, like a drummer will come on and think like, Oh, I can just kind of rock through this thing. I get the general sense. And he's like, that was not what I recorded. I want you to play exactly what was on the recording. And mm-hmm. so kind of like watching him as a band leader, I really I really learned a lot about how your energy can impact the sound of an ensemble. You know, like you don't always have to use a lot of words. Sometimes just the the energy that you're putting into the space can say everything that you need to say. Very interesting. Yeah. Very cool. <laughs> So awesome. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, this is a Seattle-based podcast and you moved to Seattle. What when did you move here and what brought you here? I moved to Seattle in 2010 because I was living in New Orleans. Like I graduated in 2009 <clears throat> and I stayed for a little over a year. And honestly, I was in New Orleans and I was just having too much fun. And I was like, I'm just having too much fun. I got to get out of here. I'm going to get in some trouble. So, <laughs> so I, 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 this is, this is one of those things where I'm like, you know, I just kind of follow my heart. So I woke up one day and I said, I'm going I'm to be a college professor. I have my master's. I have an arts diploma. I should be able to do that. And I opened my computer and Googled vocal jazz professor vacancy. And, you know, people in academia, my friends who are all professors, um, all said, you know, you're going to apply for a bunch of jobs and you, you won't get them. 
You'll apply for a lot. You won't get any calls. Then you'll apply for some more and then you'll get on the short list, but you won't get the gig. And then eventually one day, one day, if you keep trying, you'll get the gig. And so I applied, I saw this opening at Cornish College of the Arts in Seattle. And I was like, all right, I'm going to apply for this and kind of start getting my interviewing chops together. And I got the gig. Was Cornish the first place you applied when you got the I swear, hand <laughs> to God. It's Phenomenal. insane, right? It's wild. I'm like, what? How? And I kind of felt like I had a little bit of imposter syndrome where I was like, I mean, yeah, you 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 love the music and you learned how, I learned how to teach myself, you know, um because I was like, I got out of school and I really wanted to keep learning things. Even after undergrad, I wanted to keep learning things. So I gave myself assignments and I created a curriculum for myself. But I was like, what do you know about being a college professor? You don't know anything. What do you, what makes you, you know, an authority on this? And, and I kind of just had to let that go. And just, you know, if I get the gig, then it's my gig. If it's for me, then I will get it. If it's not for me, I will not. And that too will be fine. Um, so I just, went for it and, and then, you know, had to get creative with what it means to teach this music in a way that is authentic and honest and honors the, the, the genre and the art form, you know? So that's been my journey. That's really awesome. So uh, tell us about your, your time at Cornish. What is teaching there been like and uh, what are, ideas you've brought into the program and how, how, how have you seen it change? I guess that's oh a lot at once, but it is a lot. Oh <laughs> it is a lot. It's because this is my, I'm going into my 12th year. Wow. Oh, that's a long time. Time. Time is weird. It just goes. Like, I feel like, I still feel like I'm 12 years old. Like I still don't make the bed when I wake up in the morning, you know, I got a lot of growing up to do. But yeah, I've been, this will be my 12, I'm going into my 12th year at Cornish. It's, it's been a ride because when I started, I came in with this like intensity and like, this is what, you know, people died for this music and this is serious and we're doing vocal jazz and jazz is an art form. Jazz is a lifestyle. It was very intense and I made my students cry. I was really, 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 really hard. I was really hard. And, but I was there. So like I'd have a student who was having an issue getting through a passage, sing through something, their lesson would end. And I would still be in there with them 40 minutes later, trying to help them access what it was that they're searching for to execute this passage. So I, I had the time and the energy and the intensity and I was tough. And I was like, I'm going to have some badass students and we're going to, you know, take over the world. And, um, and then I started to realize as time went on that I just need to meet my students where they are. And, you know, I'm so glad that this transition in my approach happened because I, while I am not as, I'm only as hard as I believe that the students can handle and I have an intuition of what the students need and I'm able to just kind of sit in the space with them and really get to the center of it. I still make them cry all the time, but, um, it's a different, it's like more of this, like I'm nurturing sensitive artists and sometimes some tears 
go with that, you know? I do think I remember talking to a couple of the students on the few occasions I subbed as an accompanist <laughs> for one of your classes. And I think I remember overhearing them say that, like, John A's class is definitely the hard class and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, which <laughs> that's, is that's never... That's kind of a good thing, though. That's, it I can mean, be a good I thing. I think so. I know, but, you know, I, 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 I really tried to find that line of, like, I know I'm going to go in here and get my ass kicked, and it's going to be good for me. You know, right. I really didn't want it to be like, oh, this teacher is just mean because I'm not a mean spirited person. Like I'm all about the love and I love the music and I want, you know, I want the respect and, you know, I want people to respect the music that they're making. Um, and also like, yeah, we need to get our butts kicked sometimes. And mm -hmm. I want, I wanted them to feel like they were getting what they signed up for, that they were getting their butts kicked. A lot of students were like, you came just in time because I really, prior to your being here was not, I didn't feel challenged. And one student was like, I wrote a letter to the president of the college and they were basically like, I can't believe that this is what an education is supposed to be. And I've been here. This is my last year. It's John A's first year. Like there is no reason that I should have made it to my senior year without being challenged in this way. And I'm incredibly disappointed, but also thankful that, you know, so mm. I don't know. It was all very, very intense. And, um, and I'm, you know, I've become a mother since starting at Cornish and, and so now I've realized, like, I did give a lot of myself to my students. And now I've, in the last six years, kind of established some healthier boundaries. And, you know, like, I've been working on, because I'd be up in the middle of the night, like, what's a good next song for this student? They really struggled with this thing. So what's the next step for them? And it's like, one o'clock in the morning. Well, you know, when you're single and at home in your little apartment on Capitol Hill, that's not, you know, it's fine. But like when you have two nursing babies, you don't have time to be worried about Jessica's next song, you know, because they like you have lives that you're actually responsible for. So I've kind of figured out what I consider to be a good balance. Like I still consider myself to be nurturing and like there for my students while also having healthy boundaries and allowing them to find some of the answers on their own if that's the journey that they need to be on. Definitely. That's really lovely. It's it's very clear how much um, energy you put into teaching and how much care you, you put into your students. So that that's really, really cool. Yeah, thank so, you. I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about uh, some of um, your solo work. So we were checking out the stuff on your website and uh, looking at the list of things that you play on your records. And it's not just voice. And you play the violin, the viola, the mm -hmm. harmonium, some percussion mm -hmm. too. <laughs> Where did all this stuff come from? Well, I guess you mentioned that you played uh, violin when you were uh, younger. But what about yeah. this other stuff? Yeah, you know, um, <clears throat> while I was in the Institute, we went to India and that was a trip. Um, I told you, Josh. <laughs> what? So, sorry, inside joke. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> we were guessing where the harmonium thing came from. Oh, I oh, knew yeah. where it came from, yeah, Max. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> um, so I have this thing where like when I, when I leave the country, I just want to get the instruments. And so, you know, when I went to Brazil, I got, was it, where was it? No, I think it was Peru. I got all these like percussion instruments, like the cajita, which is that 
drum that you, it's like you wear it around your neck and it's like a, it's like a little box drum, but it's like this big and it's got a lid and a stick and you like wear it around your neck and you lift the, the lid and you play with the stick and it's like a percussion instrument. It's super fun. Whoa. And, um, yeah, I have a couple in my office at Cornish, but it was funny cause I bought, I would buy them and then I'd be like, let me just bring this on stage with me. And I pulled one out and did a song and they were like, someone came up afterwards and was like, it was really great that you got that instrument and played it, but you're not very good. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. Dude, I just bought it today. What do you want from me? (laughs) But, um, so yeah, when I was in India, that was a trip with Herbie Hancock, the great late, the late great George Duke. Um, and then James Genus was on that, Terry Lynn Carrington, and oh gosh, you know, Shaka Khan Whoa. and Dee Bridgewater. Is that not the craziest? That was group? a band? It was a band. It was crazy. Holy cow. Was that recorded? I don't, know if, I don't know. I was just going to say. And we went um, into Ravi Shankar's school and did all this stuff with students. Anyway, so. Some of the stuff I'm like, how, uh, I think, yeah, no, it was crazy. It was really, really crazy. But anyway, I did the thing where I went to the music store and I was like, I need things. What things do I need? And so I, yeah, I just, I, I fell in love with the harmonium. I couldn't like take one home with me though. So when I got back home to the States, I ordered one and started playing with it. And I had this interesting, um, it's kind of tricky because I know that the instrument is for prayer and it's really sacred. And, and so when I incorporate it into my music, I'm really intentional and being mindful of respecting the tradition and, um, respecting just how sacred the instrument is in and of itself. And so I go through a little process where I ground myself and center the earth and kind of like run my energy. And I'm like still trying to tap into the special, um, power of the instrument, but it also, it's just, yeah, it's, I also love it. It's just like another line, like another melodic sound. Um, it's kind of like, it sounds a little like an accordion and a, I don't know, like a melodica had a baby or something. I don't know, but I also just love it. It's fun. And yeah, that's, that's one of my, my new loves is the harmonium. And then the viola, I just picked up and was like, I love the sound of this instrument. I consider myself to be a lower singing, um, female voice and the viola resonates with me. I never took a lesson on it, but having been trained on violin, it felt, it felt all right to just kind of jump in and try to explore. And I love it. I love the sound. It's, it's like a, it's a very sexy instrument to me. So anytime I can like pull it out and just kind of pads and stuff. I'm not, you're not going to ever, you ain't going to never hear me take like a violin or viola solo. (laughs) That is not happening. It's just not that I cannot swing on string instruments at all. I I don't know how people do it. It's so hard. Um, But yeah, I I just, there's something that feels like home about the string instruments for me. That's That's awesome. Really really cool. So we'd be remiss if we didn't get to your most recent ensemble project or I, I guess i don't know for sure if this is your most recent ensemble project but um sage is a super group of four incredible singers uh consisting of you uh amanda taylor right 
Sarah mm-hmm. Gazarek and Aaron Bentledge. I have been following this group for, I, I don't know how long now, but you put out such incredible music that's deeply moving in its message and its sound. And I'm just so, so excited about it. And I have so many questions. <laughs> how did you all meet? How did this get started? Because you're not all in Seattle, right? Like, um, as far as I know, Sarah's in LA and I, I guess mm-hmm. I don't know where everybody else is, but how yeah. did you all get together? Yeah. So Sarah is in Los Angeles. She's on the faculty at USC and Aaron is also, um, in Los Angeles. And then Amanda Taylor lives in Renton actually. And so we've got like the, we're all over here on the West coast. And like, we actually just wrapped a retreat. We did a week long retreat, um, from last Wednesday to this Wednesday. And we rehearsed like about 10 hours a day. Um, let me tell you, that's an intense schedule. It was so intense. There were a lot of tears, a lot of feelings. Um, but a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of growth, you know, cause it's like we have, I, I don't even know how to, like, I'll get started on our like origin story. So I've known Sarah since we were like freshmen in college. So I've known Sarah for, you know, over 20 years. Did you go to school and- together? We did not. Um, she ended up going to USC and I went to school in Chicago with, um, but Sarah went to school with some of the guys that I played with in San Diego in high school. And so they went to school together and we ended up on this gig. Like it was a gig with like, I picture like, we'll see 18, 19 year old Jeanne and this bass player, Ben Campbell, um, who was from San Diego and Gerald Clayton was on piano and so I did this like gig where I, I met Gerald and was playing with him and it was like a split bill for me and Sarah and that was how we met and then we just kind of stayed in touch and would like hang out if we saw each other like Sarah's from Seattle so like she'd come to town and I'd go to LA and we'd kind of just hang and stuff and I knew about Aaron and Amanda because um they're badasses obviously <laughs> and so <laughs> and so Sarah and Amanda had done something on the groove for thought. Um, they they had like a festival and Amanda sang lead soprano in that group, which is no longer together, but, um, they, they did some of Sarah's music on that. And Amanda wrote some arrangements for it. And afterwards, Sarah was like, Oh my God, I love you. You're amazing. Can we be in a group together? And I mean, I was like, heck yeah. And then they were like, well, okay, who else would be in the group? And then Sarah had also just had Aaron write some backgrounds for her album, Thirsty Ghost. And, um, and they were like, well, I mean, that's an obvious choice. And then at the same time, I was kind of like, I don't know if it was before this. I feel like it was before this. Cause I had been like in my mind, like I really want to, I miss vocal jazz. Like I went to Western Michigan university. That's where my undergraduate degree is from. They have a crazy history of like a vocal jazz ensemble. It's like vocal jazz meets uh, show choir kind of though. Like I did do choreography, which don't tell anyone, but there are videos that exist of me doing like, you <laughs> know, kickball. You, you just told everybody. You just said this on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, if people can find it, they deserve to see it. And then they'll wish they could unsee it. But, oh, um, no. I was just missing it too. So it all just kind of the stars fell in line and it was like, yes, 
okay, we're going to start a vocal group. So then we went on this retreat in Palm Springs back in 2019, in May of 2019, I think. Um, so at that point, we had never all been in the same room together. And we had recorded, we were like, oh, we're going to be a group. So before we were ever in the same room together, we recorded these three demos, which like, I don't, we, I, I don't know where they exist. I think they're up on our Patreon, on our Patreon page where it's like, we recorded these demos without having met and sent in our, like sent in these recordings and flew them into this track and then used that recording, those recordings to apply for the gen conference. And we got it. And so we're like, oh shoot, I guess we need to find out if we can actually sing together. So then we did this retreat in Palm Springs where we were going to like, we're going to arrange all this music and rehearse and like do workshops and blah, blah, blah. We had all these plans, but essentially we just ended up like falling in love and hanging out by the pool, sunbathing and drinking mimosas the whole time. But also <laughs> we like built that foundation that, you know, is sage. And, and the, actually that's where we wrote desert song together at, on that retreat. So out of all of that, that like we, it was like five or six days we had, we came out of it with the love for one another and, you know, admiration and adoration. And also we came out with a fully, you know, finished, I think it was pretty much finished desert song, which fun fact was, Originally, as we started it, we thought it was going to be called Stronger Than Sand, hmm. but then it ended up being called Desert Song. So that's some like trivia for you. Wow. <laughs> Down well, that, perfect. That was actually going to be our next question, I think, actually, kind of how Desert Song came to be and was also nominated for a Grammy, right? Yeah. Yeah. So Desert Song was, it was really funny because I had never written with other people before. Like I'm used to having an idea come to me and just like getting it out really quickly. And you're do if you're doing everything, like you control the timing and you control the experience, right? So I do the melody, I do the lyrics, I do the harmony, I do everything, you know? And so this was like my first time writing with other people and I was really nervous. I did not know where to start. I felt really uncomfortable. And we started writing it and I didn't really like the rhythm of like, oh, what about this? I, uh, and like, I was the one who, well, Sarah had the idea for, like she had the concept for the song. And then I was like, okay, so how does this work? What do we do now? And they were like, well, you know, if someone has a melodic idea and I'm like, and I do, 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 do. like that was basically it. Like I just threw this thing out there and then I was kind of like, huh, is this how this works? I don't know. Anyway. And so we like started like going from there. And I remember we took a break and I went to the grocery store cause we needed more vodka and champagne. And I called my husband and I cried and I was like, I've never done this before. And I don't know, like, this is really uncomfortable for me. It's so hard to like write with other people and I don't really know them. And I don't know, you know, it's like this really, um, I recognize now that it was just growth, you know, and sometimes growth can be uncomfortable and it can feel like in the moment, it can feel like a not so great thing, but that's only because it's not so familiar. Um, and so then I, got the vodka and the champagne <laughs> went back to the, to the um, space that we were staying. And, and then we got back to writing the song and then the rest of it just flowed out. So like in a span of like two hours, I went from, I don't like this. I don't think I ever want to do this again. Like, I think I said those words. I don't ever want to do this again. I don't ever want to write with other people again to like, 
oh my God, I love this. This is so special within like two hours of just like putting myself out there and just trusting that I was safe with these people. Cause it, that's really what it is. It's like, you're exposing yourself, you're, you're offering of yourself. And if you are with people that you know, you can trust, then it can be a really beautiful experience. But there's a lot of like giving that has to happen for it to feel safe and natural and right. And so by the end of writing that song, I was like, oh my gosh, I found my partners. This is so weird. Like they are my, they were my sisters from that day. Like I could really feel that. (sighs) That's so cool. Yeah. Those situations are hard to come by sometimes. I feel like when you really connect with people like that, that's really awesome. You have that very magical origin story thank you for sharing <laughs> yeah. that well we've talked a bunch about desert song and this this is the grammy winner can we take a listen to it <laughs> it's a grammy nominee oh, grammy nominee sorry that's right you know this i read time. i was reading uh an article out of a jazz magazine and it they were talking about not the grammys but like some other awards ceremony and i just really really love this quote uh and it was in mandarin but i'll translate here um, awards are won by luck. Nominations are won by effort. And so, mm. I love that so this, much. This is a win. I do. I I feel that way too. You know, it really is a win. And also, it's like not going to go anywhere. You can't take it away from me. Like nope. my bio now begins: Grammy nominated vocalist. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Forever. You know. That's so a great quote. It's man. beautiful. Yeah. I would. Yeah, I'd like, like to hear it in Mandarin too. I want to know. Oh man, I'm gonna have to pull it up to get the exact wording. It's but all right. <laughs> I'll send yes. it to you later if you want. Thank you. I'd love to. I'd just love to hear it and process yep. it on a deeper level. Even totally. though I obviously don't speak Mandarin, but I would love to feel that. Yeah, it's a great quote. Cool. Well, let's uh, take a listen. Here goes. Yay. See the ocean. You're drawn to the strength inside the waves. But if you get caught within the ocean, the undertow will let you lose your way. the ocean Can't wait to sink your toes into the sand Instead you will sink into the ocean And watch your heart slowly Someday you will reach the desert 
that is a beautiful song and I'm really happy that it was nominated because I think it deserves it. And it's well, yeah, there are a lot of really cool things here. Um, I was hoping to maybe talk a little bit about uh, the videos that you guys have made as well. I mean, the, yeah. the song itself is amazing. Actually a lot of, all of your songs are amazing in my opinion too. <laughs> but the other thing that I was really kind of taken away by when I was kind of checking out your guys's work was the, video of the art that goes along with what you guys are singing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have, a, it looks like you have a couple different sessions that maybe were filmed and then you have a couple other things that are totally different artistically. Um, but what kind of, you know, not to go too far away from the song, but what kind of was the, the driving concept behind um, the video side of things? Well, you know, the pandemic happened and kind of threw a wrench into everything. When we, when the news got out that like things were going to be shutting down, we were kind of starting a little tour and then everything got, you know, chopped and we were really scared and like, Oh, we need to, we need to keep doing this. Like we need to keep working. We need to keep creating. We need to, you know, keep working on our sound, you know, cause we'd done like a handful of gigs and, and then it was like, okay, well you probably won't see one another for quite a while. So we started a Patreon and that kind of became our driving force, I guess, you know, it was like the inspiration. Like we had folks behind us who were like, give us more content. And like many other folks, we developed a lot of new skills. Um, and and it was kind of just like, okay, everybody needs to get their studio set up together because we're going to be recording. So figure that out. You know, and Aaron um, was sweet enough to sit me and Sarah down on Zoom and give us like a little tutorial on Logic. Because, you know, it's like I had never recorded myself in Logic before. I had done some stuff in GarageBand, but it was like 
things that, you know, I was releasing secretly on my fake Instagram account for my sewing. <laughs> like I have my little secret sewing, like I have like crafts and I do lots of sewing. Oh, I'm stuff so and... curious about this Instagram account now. <laughs> wow. Well, it's a little bit less secret now, I think. <laughs> well, I don't know if you'll find it. Um, <laughs> it's going to so be right I, next like... to those videos of you doing choreography. <laughs> But so I was like making beats on in logic or in garage band and just kind of trying to put some things together for background music and stuff like that. But I didn't really know how to record my voice well. So then we had to invest in all of the gear to record. And so it's like, okay, we're going to be recording everything. Well, what is a recording in a pandemic without some visual component? Right. So then Sarah figured out, started working in final cut pro, just like, trial by fire. She was like, okay, I don't know. I, I have this vision. I don't know if this is going to work, but here are the things that I need from you. So she gave us these prompts and was like, this is what I need the lighting to be. So do this. And like, this is what I need for this. And so she'd give, like, we bought an app that kind of tells you lighting stuff. And there's just all of these things that we just stumbled into. And maybe one of us would take a class and figure out how this thing works remotely online and, and then have, you know, like, okay, now dump it all into the Google doc. And then we'll, it's just like, it was, we're kind of just like, let's, if we're going to release music, we need to do it with videos. If we're going to release videos, we want them to be good. If we want to release good videos, someone has to figure out how to do it. And so Amanda, I think Amanda did, who did our first video? I think our first video was the, um, India Ari, I am light. Oh yeah. And which she commented on. Do you know that? Like really? India's. Yes. That's she, awesome. Oh, that's she so cool. messaged us. She messaged us. She reposted it several times. She reposts our stuff quite a bit, actually. Um, Whoa. And then, and then, oh my God, let me tell you, I'm going on a tangent, but let me just tell you how sweet she is. When we got nominated for the Grammy, she was super excited. And then right after we didn't win, she sent us an audio recording in Instagram to our messages and was like, ladies, I was right there cheering you on. And I just want you to know that pretty much your quote, you know, <laughs> like wow. That's really the cool. prize was the nomination and, and I'm proud of you. It was just wild. Just so wild. Like how, why, why does India already know who we are? I don't know. But anyway, so I think Amanda did that one and we had a lot of like specifics that were required for lighting and stuff like that. And then, you know, she had a vision and Sarah kind of was the, I think she produced it a little bit too, or directed it as well. And then, um, and then, yeah, the I Can't Help It video, which is the silly one with the puppet. <laughs> mm. Sarah just happens to have a puppet and is actually <laughs> one of, Sarah's like one of the funniest people I know. She's super silly, doesn't take herself too seriously, and it's just a lot of fun. And so her ideas were just like, oh, and then we'll do this, and then we'll do that. And so we're really just like diving in and trying stuff out because like we couldn't be together and... And this was how we were able to feel like we were creating in the same space and not just like in some deep, dark pit of depression, <laughs> you know, because it was hard. Like I make a point of whenever I do interviews talking about how 
you know, it looks as though people are incredibly creative and like producing a bunch of work and you're the only person who's depressed or struggling or having a hard time generating new work or whatever. And I'm like, listen, the only reason that I have been able to do anything is because I didn't want to let my sisters down. Like knowing that Sarah, Aaron and Amanda were counting on me to meet that deliverable deadline. Like that's the only reason it got done left to my own devices. I would have been in bed, you know, but I had to get up and show up for my team. And so I'm really thankful for all of the, you know, the videos and the audio and the, you know, live streams and all of those things, because it got me out of bed, you know, and it got me singing and it kept me working. And, and so it's just been, it's been really, it's been a real lifesaver for me, I would say. That's awesome. That's so beautiful. It's been so exciting to watch the creativity and resilience of the musical community and, you know, being stuck in isolation, but making such beautiful music anyway. And uh, I got to say, if you had told me that you four had just been recording and mixing and making videos for like way long before, (laughs) I would have completely believed you. (laughs) No, we were stumbling stumbling it was like ooh, somebody like can you you gotta record that whole thing again because that was not what we do (laughs) that is not gonna work (laughs) like try it again from the beginning yeah there's a lot of learning and erasing and starting from scratch but you know we all got better i also like that a lot of your songs and videos kind of promote a better world and future and yeah. kind of alongside that, I noticed your Patreon pricing structure is also really cool. Yeah. And that it's fairly, you know, uh, equitable for yeah. what people yeah. can do. Exactly. It's really cool. I've never seen that it's, before. So, yeah. You know, I think one of the, um, one of the head honcho guys was like, you know, let me tell you the many options you have. Cause a lot of people feel like there's only one way to do it. And we really did want it to be equitable. Cause I mean, a lot of all those gigs that got canceled before mm-hmm. the pandemic um, were at colleges. And I'm like, when I was a college student, I was like, I would find a $5 bill in my sofa and cry because I was so happy because <laughs> I didn't have to have yep. eggs for dinner again. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I'm like, if we're going to be like, we're connecting with students and doing a lot of work with students, we need to be available to them. We need to, it needs to be accessible. So that was really um, a priority for us. So you can give, you know, $5, you can give 500. Like (laughs) we're not going to say no to the $500 patron, but you know, we want to be there for the students and young people because we really, they're, they're like, they're, they're really important to us. I remember the $2 Trader Joe's dinners that I would eat every night right right <laughs> that was a thing right? for a long time yep oh man oh man yeah wow <laughs> cool <laughs> so i want to talk about some of the newer songs that are on youtube but i not released on any like streaming or mm-hmm. for sale services yet you did uh never you mind this past summer mm-hmm. and also very recently a uh, solid ground blackbird medley mm-hmm. both of which are really really beautiful i was just listening to them yet again right before recording this mm-hmm. and uh yeah tell can you tell us a bit about what's behind these songs and why 
why are you recording them now? Well, I mean, <clears throat> we're coming up on the, we just passed actually the one year anniversary of, uh, George Floyd's murder. And, um, and, and never you mind is a song that I wrote as a tribute to the black lives matter movement. I recorded it on my record and, and then the girls came to me and said, how would you feel if we joined you on that song? And we started performing never you mind. And so Aaron wrote the orchestration for the voices and, and, um, and yeah, and I just, I always, whenever I perform that song, I feel like it's an opportunity for conversation. And so, yeah, we recorded it and, um, and released it. We did actually release that one. And so that's available on the streaming platforms. Um, but really we're, you know, it's very possible to be an artist and just do things that make you feel good. But I think we are, like you said, we're really trying to make statements about the world that we live in and the world that we want to live in. And sometimes that means you have to have uncomfortable conversations. And I think it's really important that the music that I involve myself in reflects who I am and my beliefs. And, and it's, it's, um, I think it's like using your access for good, like using your, um, platform for good. Um, and so that's basically what that, the approach was. I mean, I'm married to a black man. I have black babies and, you know, it just is, it's just, I've had enough. I've just had enough. So, um, that's what that song is. And at the end of the song, I recite, recite the names of, um, black men and women killed by the police. And the devastating part is that anytime I'm going to perform that song, I have to sit down and add names to the list that I am going to recite. And that is the problem. So that's that song. And that, you know, and it, and the thing is it's, it's, it's painful for me. It is painful for me to sing my music now because it represents the, you know, nightmare that we're living in this country when it comes to the lack of respect of black bodies. And, um, and new world is the other end of the spectrum, which is just like, the hope for the future. It's a Bjork song that we recorded and made a video for, and it's, it's filled with like optimism and relief in the good and the future and children and, you know, um, and then solid ground blackbird that, that song, that arrangement and the video, um, it really just, I mean, I actually, the, there's a B-roll that's str like being sh um, shined, shown, shined. What's the word? Is <laughs> it shined? Shown, I think. Shown? I, I think so. I'm not really sure. <laughs> shown One of those. Shined, under, shined onto? Whatever. It's like shined, shined onto. Shined, I don't know. Yeah, that might be it. <laughs> that, that's good. That's good. Shined onto our faces. And, um, and it's basically a bunch of incredible women you know just and i i remember when um sarah put the video together 
without sound, just watching, I was just weeping. And it's just, we just, life is so many things. <laughs> and women have been through so much. Black people have been through so much. Asian Americans have been through so much. Um, Jewish people have been through so much. Like we are all just going through so much. And I think, you know, as we are going through all of these things and fighting all of these fights, it's really important to acknowledge the good that's in there too. And so like, even as I'm looking at all of this pain and feeling all of this pain, the power of the music and like the power of the story and the pulling and the magic, it's like, this is the, it's the thing that keeps me going. Like if I wasn't, you know, committing my life to this work, I don't know that I would have survived the last year. I just don't know that I, I don't know. I really don't know. Um, and so I think we're kind of just trying to give an offering and a reminder that there's so much beauty in the world and that, you know, we are resilient and, um, there are such, so many beautiful things to look forward to because we are changing the world, you know, our babies are changing the world. Um, yeah. so to use the music to make those statements and, you know, use the, visual um components to to tell those stories i think i mean it's 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 an approach i think it's our approach and i think it's an important one for us right now yeah i think it's becoming more and more important as time goes on too and you guys are doing a wonderful job incorporating that into the music i think so. i deeply believe that the most beautiful art and music is uh the pieces that really really say something about what's going on with the world what's going on with mm -hmm. us mm -hmm. and your music your videos is knocking it out of the park for, mm. for what you're saying so thank you for your work yeah. your your vulnerability in mm. being in that too it's it's really beautiful and really really powerful thank you so You've got a YouTube channel full of stuff. You've got a Patreon account where you're putting out music and videos. I know that uh, from Instagram that y'all are teaching workshops on arranging mm -hmm. and doing all of that as well. When will we get to hear a full length <laughs> record? Because I really, really would love to hear one. Oh my gosh, we're going into the studio pretty soon here. Whoa, and that's great news. Yeah, and we're going to do like a, well, there will Am I allowed to say this? I don't know if I'm allowed to say this. <laughs> Keep an eye on our on, on our website, sage.com. Um, I think there will be, like for anyone who's interested in the album, in the next couple of weeks, there will be some, some... Updates? Yeah, some some cool stuff happening oh, over there. Oh, what a teaser. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. See, this is the thing when you're one quarter of a thing and you can't talk. Like you can't I, just I, decide. I can't just be saying <laughs> stuff, you know? Yeah, so it's it coming very soon, though. Like, we're, okay. we're, we're, it's happening. It's happening really soon. It's like the thing that our energy is going into well, right now. We'll hold you to that because if it's like July and I haven't seen uh -uh. anything yet, I'm going to fill your inbox with like, uh -uh. Johnny, what's going on? <laughs> no, don't worry. Like two weeks, you'll have all of the answers that right. you seek. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
we're coming up on what we have time for. Thank you so, so much for joining us and telling us about your story, your music. This is uh, just really, really beautiful work. Thank Absolutely. you so much for having me. Yeah, yeah thank you. this was really fun. For all of you listeners, thank you for listening. You've been listening to Jazz Talk Seattle. If you like what you're listening to, this is a monthly podcast. You can find out more on our Facebook page. And we will see you next month. Goodbye.